Mark 7, 1 through 13. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law, who had come from Jerusalem, gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating foods with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why won't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corban, that is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. So the Pharisees, as we probably know, but we definitely just read, they had a big a zeal for the law, right? They were excited about their laws. And if you've ever met someone who's really gung-ho about someone, something, and they're not really content to just be gung-ho themselves, but everybody else around them has to be the same way, right? So, uh, you know, that was the Pharisees. They were super gung-ho about that. Now, I I have to admit, I can have a lot of zeal for the rules, uh, especially when it's rules in my classroom, right? Because I know that the rules we have... Sorry, guys, a little echoey there. Um... But anyway, I know that the rules that that we have in our classroom are there for the good of the classroom. They're there so that we have a good learning environment, a safe learning environment, where kids are going to learn a lot about, in my case, biology. And so I have a lot of zeal for those rules, and I'm very gung-ho about them. I have a lot of zeal, and the students know this about me. They're like, man, Colburn, he's a rule follower. He is a stickler for the rules. And, uh, but they also understand that those rules are there for a place, but they have this term for that zeal that I have. And they, they, they say, Mr. Colburn, you're extra. I don't know if you've heard this term. Like, Mr. Colburn, you are extra. Like, if I notice, like, things are starting to slip a little bit in the classroom, I will, uh, I'll really start cracking down and they'll just, man, why are you so extra today? But they understand that as I'm doing that, it's within the school rules, it's within what we're doing, and it's helpful for that purpose. But there was uh, one day I looked at a, I saw one of uh, my students who normally is a really good student. She's nice and chipper and happy and uh, things go really well for her most of the time. And I just noticed she was really down one day. And I went up to her, I was like, well, you know, what, what's going on here? And there is another teacher who is known for being extra as well, but he is known for being extra about rules that aren't even really rules. And so he had written her this referral, 
and sent her to the office because she had broken one of his unwritten rules. And what she had been doing, she even, number one, it wasn't against any of the school rules to start with, and she'd been given explicit permission to do this from another teacher. And yet, uh, it, it was how she was transitioning from one class to another, and I, I guess this teacher didn't like that she had been, she'd beat him to the classroom, basically. And so he writes this referral, and it had just ruined her day, and she's waiting for the call from the office to go down and be in trouble for a rule that wasn't even really a rule. And I, I, I told her, I was like, look, you're not going to get called down to the office. Like, that's not even a rule. You're going to be fine. So sure enough, the whole day comes and the phone call never comes. She never has to go to the office. But what that did, what that zeal for a rule that wasn't even a rule did was it ruined her entire day. Right? She couldn't concentrate in class like she should. She couldn't take joy in what she was doing like she should. And it really painted a bad picture of the school as well. She's like, right, I'm getting in trouble like this. Man, I hate this school. This is terrible. Because that teacher went above and beyond what he should have done. Now, the Pharisees are very much like that. Right? They go far above and beyond what they should. They take meanings from Scripture that aren't there and they make rules from Scripture, but they're not, they're applying Scripture to areas it was never meant to be applied. See, they had what they called the oral law. And the oral law, this oral tradition, it, it wasn't Scripture, it was, but a lot of the ideas started there, right? They, they had the seed of Scripture, but then they took it and went way beyond it. Specifically, here we were talking about what was going on with washing hands before you eat. Right Now, that started with instructions uh, in Leviticus to the priest. What the priest would have to do was they would have to wash their hands and wash their feet before they went into the tabernacle of God to offer a sacrifice. And when they would do that, they would often eat the sacrifice, depending on the type of sacrifice it was. Now, keep in mind, they're going into the tabernacle, the earthly dwelling place of God. And so it would make sense that they would need to be cleansed before they went before God to make a sacrifice, right? God is holy. God is pure. God is righteous and just. And humans are not. And so they would wash their hands. They would wash their feet before they went in to perform these sacrifices and eat those meals. Now what the Pharisees had done is they'd taken those rules that were set for that special time, and now they've extrapolated it to mean things that they didn't, they shouldn't have meant. They said, well, you know, we're always in God's presence, right? God always knows what's going on. It's always before God. And so therefore, there shouldn't be a, a difference between a priestly meal and a normal meal. So therefore, you can't eat a meal without washing first. You've got to do that. And of course, being extra, they went beyond just washing your hands and feet. They had rules on how you wash the dishes, the pots, the pans, all of that. They went way above and beyond because they were all about those rules. Some of you just went, man, I didn't even wash my hands before I ate breakfast this morning. Like, this is serious to them, right? 
Now, there is a time for things to be set apart. There is a time for things that they are holy and they should not be taken lightly. And rules are good for those times. But we don't want to take that, what's meant for that one special time, and then start to apply it to areas it was not meant to. We're going to get in trouble really fast if we do that. And that's what the Pharisees have done. Now let me give you an example. Each week, we come forward and we have a meal together, right? We have the bread, the body of Christ, and the cup, the blood of Christ. We have communion. We have this meal. And there are special instructions that go with that. Right? You should only come forward and partake of this if your faith is in Jesus Christ. This meal isn't for everybody. It's for those whose faith is in Jesus. Whose sins have been forgiven through faith in Him. And there are instructions in the Bible that tell us that we are to examine our hearts before we come forward and take it. And we should ju- make sure we're judging ourselves rightly before we come do that. And it is good for when we gather here to do this on Sunday morning. But now imagine if we were going to take those things that we do on Sunday morning and start applying them to any meal we had. Right? So you call up your neighbor. You want to have them over for dinner. All right? Hey! We're grilling, we're going to have steaks, hot dogs, hamburgers, all that good stuff. Love to have you and the wife over. I have one question for you first. Do you believe in Jesus? Because if the answer is no, you're uninvited. You can't do it. Right? That would be ridiculous. That wouldn't make you more holy. That would actually make you kind of a jerk if you were just doing that all the time. Like putting up these fences like, I can't, I can't be around you, filthy sinner. No, 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 no. My table, I only eat with holy people. Oh, that would be terrible. And it wouldn't make us any more holy. In fact, in doing that, we would be violating God's command to love our neighbors. And so it is good to have these rules, these laws that God has given us, but it is not good for us to take those and expand them to areas they were never meant to be. And especially if it causes us to go against God's other commands. But yet that's exactly don't even know where that pen came from. <laughs> that's exactly what the Pharisees have done here. They have taken God's good what was God's good commandment and they have built on it. They put all these man-made traditions on it. They've put on all these extra things. And instead of causing people to be more holy, it's actually causing people to sin against God. It's actually causing them to do the opposite of what God has told them to do. But you see, the Pharisees' heart was all messed up. They saw their own traditions, their own, uh, their own oral law as being on level with God's law. Their heart, their attitude towards that was all wrong. They thought that what they said carried the exact same weight as what God had said. And it's this belief that causes them to confront Jesus. But Jesus is having none of it, right? He doesn't say, oh, you're right, my disciples, they should be washing their hands. Oh, man, how dirty of them. No. In fact, He doesn't even address that they haven't washed their hands. He comes right back at the Pharisees. Right? And He goes straight to the prophet Isaiah. And man, He's got a scathing review for the Pharisees. They are hypocrites. 
They honor God with their lips, but their heart is far from them, from Him. Man, that's harsh. Jesus is coming right after Him, though. And Jesus leaves no doubt that He's talking about them. He says, what you're teaching is not from God. It's from men. And you've left behind what God has taught, and you are holding on to what man has taught. And that that is more important. And he gives them a direct example of how they're doing it. The this tradition of Korban. Korban was a tradition where you took something that and said it's no longer going to do its normal use. Whatever its normal function in is, it's not doing that anymore. It's given completely to God. And it's only for Him. We can go give it to the temple, sacrifice it at the temple, whatever that looks like. But it, it's not for its common use anymore. And in this case, we're talking about money that you would save up for your parents when they got old. Because back then, you didn't have a 401k. There was no social security. There was no pension. Your retirement plan was your children. They had to work for you. They had to take care of you when you were older. You needed them. And so this this tradition of Korban was Instead of it being for them, I'm now going to take that money and it's now going to be only for God's use. And it, you might look at that from the outside and be like, man, that's, that's dedication. That's holy. Wow, that guy is serious about God when he's doing that. But he wasn't actually, that wasn't actually serious about God. It was serious about man's tradition and man's commandments. And Jesus says, if someone does that, you don't allow them then to do what God has commanded, which is honor their mother and their father. Whatever would have been for them is now given to God. Where is that in Scripture? You don't see that. You see the opposite of that. You see honor your mother and father. You see love them. Take care of them. And so in what the the Pharisees have done in seeking to make things appear holy and make things appear good and righteous, They've actually caused people, including themselves, to do the opposite. To sin against God's Word. You can see in that how far the Pharisees' heart is from God. Right? Their traditions, their commandments are more important than God's commandments. So their heart is very far from Him. So what we're ultimately getting at here is that the... the Pharisees are concerned with not the righteousness of God, but they are concerned with being self-righteous, right? That's where their hearts really are. They want to be self-righteous. And when you're self-righteous, that keeps you from worshiping God. Because now you're looking at yourself and you're looking at your own works and you're saying, I'm good enough. Look at everything I've done. Look how holy I am. I am worthy of God's forgiveness. I am worthy of God's blessing. Look at me. It allows you, what else does self-righteousness do? It allows you to sit in judgment over others, right? I do this and I do that. They don't do this. They don't do that. Look at them. So much better than them. Right? I can puff up my chest. I can strut around. Look at me. Look at my life. I'm doing all these things. They're not doing that. Right? That's against God as well. And so these Pharisees and the people who were following, they couldn't 
worship God because ultimately they were worshiping self. They were self-righteous. And that kind of thinking can suck people in, right? There's an appeal to that. There's an appeal to being able to say, yes, I'm good enough. Yes, I'm a good person. I pray enough or I go to church enough, which are good things in and of themselves, but they don't justify us before God. But we can start to look at those things and look to those things as right self-righteousness, self-justification. There's a temptation to do that. But that attitude, the attitude that the Pharisees have, that self-righteousness is anti-God and it is anti-Gospel. I say that because the Gospel proclaims that we aren't good enough and that we never could be good enough. The Gospel cries out that we have sinned and fallen short of God and that nothing we can do on our own can fix that. The Gospel cries out that we need help, we need forgiveness, and we need God. Self-righteousness says, no, I don't need God, I need me. As long as I do this, I do that, I'm good. The Gospel is the exact opposite message of that. The Gospel says that it wasn't us that was good enough, it was Jesus who was good enough. Jesus came, He lived the life we couldn't live. God's laws, He followed them perfectly. He didn't mess up on one of them ever once. He kept them perfectly. And then He died on the cross in our place because we couldn't do it. That message, the message of the Gospel, strips away any self-righteousness. Because we know we aren't good enough, but Jesus was. And we, that's a beautiful, beautiful message. That's a beautiful thing to hear. That's a freeing thing to hear. Right? That gives us freedom. Freedom that someone like the Pharisees never had. The Pharisees are anything but free. The Pharisees are servants to their tradition. Because if they don't uphold their tradition, if they start to, if they start to mess up and don't follow their own commandments, then that facade that they've built up is going to just come crumbling down. They have to keep their tradition up. There is no room for failure at all there. Because one little chink and it's all coming down. The armor won't stand. But it's the opposite for us. We don't have to pretend we're perfect. We know we aren't. There's freedom in that. We know that when we mess up, we can repent and that we have forgiveness waiting for us because we're not forgiven because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And so we get to rest in that freedom. That should be a wonderful feeling that we don't have to have it all together. We don't have to wash our hands before we eat. You should. That's a different story though. We don't have to go through all these man-made steps to be righteous. We don't have to do that. We are free from that. So I want us to rest in that. I want us to enjoy that freedom that we have there. We weren't good enough, but Jesus was. That is a beautiful thing. 
It also frees us not only from holding ourselves to that impossible standard, but it frees us up to not hold others to that impossible standard. Right? It allows us to love others where they are, how they are. The Pharisees could never do that. Right? Because if they were to be seen around sinners, it would bring their image down. Who are they hanging out with? Look at that. that. That was their problem with Jesus here. They're like, look at who Jesus is hanging out with. Look who Jesus' disciples are. Right? Look at them. To them, that discredits Jesus. Like, if he really is such a great teacher, why are these the people that are following him? Right? I, I used to be like the Pharisees. I used to be like... Like, if you brought my image down a little bit around people, then I might still hang out with you. But if I really felt like other people were going to look down on me because of who, you know, because of who I was talking to, I'd be like, nah, I don't, hi, see, I'm going this way. Like, that was me, high school, into college. I'd wish I could say it stopped there, but that was something that I really had to be sanctified in. But it was because I realized that who you are around affects how people see you. And to the Pharisees, how people saw them was everything. That was more important than how God saw them. They were just interested in the external. But with God, it's not about the external, right? With God, it's about the internal. It's about the heart. Jesus wasn't concerned that his disciples weren't washing their hands before they ate because it wasn't a law of God. It was a man-made tradition. And even though that would make them look bad in the eyes of the Pharisees, Jesus doesn't care about that because he knows where their heart is. And because of that, who do you see Jesus minister to? Jesus ministers to the lepers. The lepers were unclean. They had to cry out that they were unclean when they were going anywhere. And yet Jesus was willing to heal them. You see Jesus hanging out with tax collectors and sinners of all sorts, right? Sinners are following Jesus. And Jesus isn't sending them away. He's loving them. He calls them to change. Don't get me wrong. He doesn't say, oh, please continue in your sin. He calls them to change. But He's not afraid to be with them. In fact, He's going to them and loving them. Because what he is worried about is the heart, not the external image. And that should be the same for us. Right? The gospel makes it so we don't need to be worried about what the world thinks about who's around us. What we are worried about is, are we loving them as God has commanded us to love them? Are we laying our lives down for them, even our enemies? Are we doing that? That's what we're worried about. We're not worried about the external, about how things look. And so this passage really, I think, serves as a warning for us to be on guard. To be on guard against Pharisees, but to be on guard against becoming Pharisees ourselves. We don't want to do that. You know, our justification, our salvation, where did it start? It started with Jesus. We have it because of our faith in Jesus. Not because we've earned it. Not because we've done the right things or said the right things. But because our faith is in Jesus. That's it. That's where our salvation comes from, right? We are justified by faith and not by works. 
the temptation for us to, can be that even though we start out and we realize we have our salvation by faith and not by works, we try to, I kind of put it this way, we try to justify our justification. In other words, we try now that if we live just the right way and we say all the right things and we do the right things that we'll be pleasing to God because of that and we can start to come up with these, these hidden laws with either sometimes we keep them within our heart but sometimes we express them. These legalistic things that might have the appearance of holiness but in reality they don't bring us any closer to God. We want to be on guard against those things. Uh, my... Mom grew up in a household where dancing was a sin. Okay, you will not find that anywhere in Scripture. Nowhere does it say dancing is a sin. Like, I'm not kidding you. Like, if, if the music started playing, number one music you wanted to dance to wasn't usually allowed anyway. But, like, you know, and the toe would start tapping, like, grandma would give you, like, the side eye, like, what are you doing? You're not getting ready to dance in my house, right? And so that, like, there was no prom for my mom. There's not, like, dancing, you know, at all. There, none of those things are allowed. Now, we can certainly say there are ways you shouldn't be dancing with people, right? There are definitely ways you should not be dancing with other people, especially if they're not your spouse, <clears throat> okay? But nowhere is it that you can't dance at all, right? That has this appearance of holiness, like, wow, they're so dedicated to God that they won't even dance, that's not in Scripture, though. But that is, that, that's a funny example, but that's an example of what we can do. We can start to build these things where we go, you know, we, we might have been saved by faith, but now we, we've got to keep our works up. No, we are called to do good works, but those good works come from a right heart condition. Right? Our heart being right and our faith maturing will produce good works. It's not suddenly going to be the other way around where we do good works and that's what matures us. That's what grows us in our faith. No. As our faith grows, our works will follow. We will leave those sins behind. The second thing is we want to watch out not just in our own lives but in the lives of our church that we don't become like the Pharisees. I've been part of a church where this happened. So you would come to church and... Uh, they had a dress code. It wasn't a written dress code, but they had a dress code, right? So number one, you didn't want to show up looking like a slob because you were, you were coming to worship God. So you can't look like a slob, right? But you can't look too nice either. Because if you look too nice, then people's attention are on you, and all you want is people's attention. And you're not really there to worship God, you're there to worship yourself. So you can't look too nice either. And so it created what I called the khaki cult. Because every man in this church came in a pair of khakis and a polo, including myself. One day I showed up and I looked over, and I don't know if our khakis were exactly the same, they looked the same, but I was wearing the exact same polo as one of the pastors. Like, oh man, we got problems here. And then I looked around and I'm like, we all look the same. This is a problem. The bigger problem wasn't just that we all looked the same. It was that you were mocked if you didn't look the same. You were openly mocked by members of the church. You came in a tie. Oh, look at him. Who does he think he is? 
coming here all fancy. Don't get religious on us. Or you showed up, maybe you had jeans on or sweatpants or something like that. What are you doing? Do you think that glorifies God? Look at you. You were mocked openly, mercilessly. Because this had become what was important, was fitting in and looking right. And in doing that, in obeying that command, they were disobeying God's command to love each other. You didn't feel loved when you showed up. You felt like you were being judged and held to the standard. And so we want to make sure that we as a church don't get those little rules in here, whatever they are, where we start obeying those more than we obey God's Word and where it causes us to sin against our brothers and sisters because we're more concerned with our own commandments and our own traditions. And so let's be on guard against that. But Restoration Road, what I do want us to do is I want us to cling tightly to God's Word. We should should love God's Word. We should follow God's Word. We should cling tightly to those things and not add extra things onto it. And we should cling tightly to our salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. And let that free us. Let it free us to walk in ways where we are loving those around us, where we are extending that same grace and forgiveness that we have been given through Jesus to those around us that they might hear the Gospel and that they might respond to it and come to faith in Jesus as well.